my neck kill you. <laughs> I've seen him do it. <laughs> There are so many little-known fairy tales, folklore stories, and chapters of history to explore in this world. So much of it is wackadoo, unbelievable, disturbing, enthralling, mind-bending, and just plain weird. When I find these stories, they get stuck in my head, and I absolutely have to share them with someone. Usually I inflict these tales on my husband Dan, along with our chocolate lab Lily and Cat Collins, but I thought, why not share these with you? I'm Gina Wagner. Welcome to Tail Wagging, a gleeful retelling of little-known fairy tales, folklore, history, and more. Welcome back to Tail Wagging and Spooktober. Ooh, we're telling very, very scary stories. Dan has not been impressed with a single one so far, have you, Dan? No. Yeah. No, they haven't scared me yet. Well, this week I want to dedicate the episode to our first reviewer on Apple Podcasts, and that is Samantha045 who says, amazing, my husband and I listened to all these on a road trip and the storytelling is wonderful and had us laughing and really enjoying our drive. So Samantha's enjoying these stories, Dan. That's scary. I'm afraid. <laughs> this is the scariest I've ever been to think that Samantha, somewhere out there with her husband, has a man trapped in the car with our voices. Oh, stop it. It can't be that bad. It's terrifying. <laughs> I'm so sorry, wherever you are, husband. So, Samantha, this episode is for you. And this is going to be a two-parter. And the second part, I'm going to dedicate to our other reviewer, who I will tell you about next time. This is a story that is a true story. I am using one source, mostly for the information, and... While some of the information might not be 100% accurate, as stories do grow in legend over time, but my source is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. This is a story about a murder castle and H.H. H. Holmes. Ooh. This is one of the first serial killers we ever knew about in America. Mm-hmm. So, picture Chicago in the late 1800s. Never before had so many young women been released from the protection of home to walk unattended through the city streets, to work as typewriters and stenographers, seamstresses and weavers. So, quick period visitation, the late 1800s. So, yes. for those of you who don't look at history timelines every day and know when or where things came from and think that somebody from the 80s is old, mm -hmm. is there fast food easily available to anybody? No. However, there are trains. Trains? In fact, a thousand trains came and went every day, and on average, two people a day were destroyed at railroad crossings. 
Wait, say that again. Two people a day were destroyed at railroad crossings. Grotesque injuries, severed heads. <laughs> there were other hazards in Chicago, like streetcars falling from drawbridges. Horses bolting with carriages into crowds of people. So streetcars. So there aren't individual cars. There's... There's streetcars. Yeah. They carry, like... It's like early buses or something? Yeah. Like mini trains. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fires took a dozen lives a day. There a was, dozen a day? There was... Dip- to fires. Diphtheria, typhus, cholera, influenza. That's the flu. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of ways to die. But then there's murder. In the first six months of 1892, there were nearly 800 violent deaths for a day. Basically, it's really easy to die or go missing in Chicago. Dun, dun, dun. And still Detroit is the murder city. Right. (laughs) Yeah, winning. Stop it. Sorry. (laughs) And then a handsome doctor stepped off a train. He liked Chicago. He walked with confidence and he dressed well, giving an impression of of wealth and achievement. He's 26 years old, dark hair, blue eyes like a mesmerist is the description, a full mustache and marvelously small ears. I guess this was attractive. But he broke all the normal rules of casual intimacy. He liked to stand too close. Stare just a little bit too long. Touch just a little bit too much when you're not supposed to. Stop that. (laughs) Women adored him. He didn't smoke or drink or gamble. He loved children and animals and was known for taking crying babies from mothers and playing with them. (laughs) You look pretty creeped out. Uh, the, The crying babies have me more terrified than anything in the last month. Well, he stopped in Holton Drugs on the corner of Wallace Street and 63rd and introduced himself as a doctor and a licensed pharmacist to the elderly Mrs. Holton and asked if she needed any help in the store. He's really good at conversation. He smiles a lot. And soon she opens up to him that managing the store had become really difficult because her husband was upstairs dying of cancer. The handsome doctor tells her not to worry. He can help the pharmacy thrive and beat the competition up the block. Now, now that I've hooked you in, let's go back. Let's go back. Back in time. So this man was born in New Hampshire under the name Herman Webster Mudgett. You can see why he changed it. I guess. It's a little nerdy. <laughs> Something. He was small, odd, exceptionally bright, and he had a brother and sister His father was a farmer, and his parents were devout Methodists who were really strict with discipline, using the rod and prayer. And, you know, sometimes banish you to the attic, or a day of silence without food. It's also said that his father used kerosene vapor on the children, which might come into play later. Uh, What would one use kerosene vapor on their children for, as somebody who is not a parent? Uh them to sleep (laughs) really Mm. so you make them sniff it and they pass out perhaps okay the boy liked to invent things like a wind-powered noise generator to scare birds from the fields and his flair for invention would also serve him later there was a story some neighborhood kids tried to scare him by pushing him up close with a skeleton in a local doctor's office they thought he'd freak out but what they didn't expect 
was that he would look at it so calmly and with curiosity studying the bones. It was also said that he kept treasures like skulls of small animals that he had disabled and dissected while they were still alive in the woods. His only close friend was an older boy named Tom who was killed in a fall while the boys were playing in an abandoned house. Hmm. Years later, people wondered if this was his first victim. Hmm. So then at age 16, he graduated school, took a job as a teacher, and met a young woman named Claire. She adored him, and two years later, he asked her to elope, and they got married on July 4th. Things started out hot and heavy, but then chilled rapidly. He left the house for long periods, then days at a time. Then he was just gone. This would become a pattern of, of love him and leave him. He used Claire's inheritance to pay for a tuition at the University of Vermont. So first of many women, he just kind of used and discarded. And he didn't really like that school. He left after a year for the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where there was an emphasis on dissection, which was one of his keen interests. <laughs> just yeah, at yeah, me. go on. Uh, <laughs> So Mudgett had a side hustle in school, as you often do when you're in college. You've got to pay the bills. College is expensive. So he would steal a cadaver, disfigure the face, stage a tragic accident, and then collect life insurance with a policy he'd taken out on a fake family member. The late 1800s were a different time. You couldn't just be a Twitch streamer. <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah. Interesting option of side career. Yeah. After school, he traveled some more. He took a job as a school principal, but a child who had been seen in his company mysteriously vanished. No investigation. Well, no one could imagine the charming Dr. Mudgett hurting anybody. And then he took a position at a drugstore in Philadelphia, but soon a child died after taking medicine from the store, and he left the city. When he moved to Chicago, he had to pass a licensing exam in the state capitol, so that's when he first registered his name as Holmes. So now we're back at the drugstore from the beginning. Old Dr. Holton upstairs died. Holmes makes his widow an offer. He'd buy the store, and she could keep living in the upstairs apartment. He put it in a way, you know, I'd be relieving you of this burden. He talked to her with tears in his eyes. And he paid for the store by mortgaging the store's fixtures and stock. And when the word spread that a young, handsome, unmarried doctor now owned the pharmacy, lots of single women in their 20s started showing up, dressing nicely, batting their eyes, and buying things they didn't really need. But when anyone asked about Mrs. Holton, Holmes smiled and said she decided to visit relatives in California. Hmm. And then later, he said she decided to move there. Hmm. Then Holmes met a pretty young blonde woman named Murda Belknap when he'd been traveling in Minneapolis, and she was just his type. He wrote letters to her about the exciting life in Chicago, and she was just kind of brought under his spell and moved there. They were married in January 1887. She never knew he was already married. And two weeks later, he filed for divorce from his first wife, charging her with infidelity, which would ruin her reputation. But he never followed up on it, so it just kind of got dismissed. What a good guy. Yeah. Murda moved in with Holmes in the second floor apartment that Mrs. Holton used to live in and became pregnant. She started helping out in the store, 
but was kind of noticing all these young women coming around and all this flirting. She was a little bit jealous. Holmes wasn't mad at her. He just saw it as like a little inconvenient and sent her upstairs to do bookkeeping to stay out of the way. And once again, he just kind of lost interest in his wife. She moved in with her parents and had the baby there. And he always appeared to be a loving husband and a doting father whenever he visited, but he didn't visit very often. And that's when Holmes bought the vacant lot across the street from the drugstore under the name Campbell. He knew it was a great location in a growing area. He started sketching up plans. He didn't want to hire an architect because he had a lot of ideas he wanted to put into place. He didn't want his secrets to be known by anyone. He wanted retail shops on the first floor to employ as many women as possible and apartments on the second and third floors for them to live in. And his apartment office would be on the corner. And there were a lot of unique features to this building. For example, there's a wooden chute that would descend from a secret location on the second floor to the basement that was coated with grease. Laundry. Sure. He put a room next to his office fitted with a large airtight walk-in vault. Scrooge McDuck money vault. Yeah. Hashtag goals. And gas jets were installed here and in apartments around the building. Um... Apocalypse safe room <laughs> for pumping in oxygen to live, obviously. There was a large basement with hidden chambers. Just, you know, for the kids. Some of the rooms had no windows. Yeah, overrated. <laughs> there were trap doors. Uh, good for the occasional intruder. Peepholes. Good for knowing what's going on before security cameras were invented, I guess. Hidden staircases and passageways. Some doors only opened up from one side or onto a brick wall. I got nothing. I got nothing. Welcome to my brick wall. Um, Yeah. And there were more surprises in the basement. They had a large kiln installed that Holmes said was for glass, and only later did anyone recognize that the shape and extreme heat made it ideal for another use, as a crematory for dead bodies, and there would be no odor from the furnace. Or, you know, really unique pottery. Right. Yeah. So this is a big project, and he doesn't like paying for things. He used many day laborers for construction. And when they came for their money, he said, "Ah, oh, your work's not any good. I'm not going to pay you. And they're like, oh, like even if it was perfect. So they would quit or he'd fire them and then recruit other people and do the same thing. He's just screwing people over right and left. So the construction went slowly because he keeps replacing people, but at a fraction of the cost. And the high turnover also helped hide all the building's secrets as each person was taking care of like a really small part of the bigger picture and they couldn't exactly put together what they were creating. You see this wall that you put on the other side of this doorway? <laughs> Absolutely insane. Nobody would ever put a wall in this fashion. You're fired and I'm paying you for nothing. But that's <laughs> what you said. Not another word. <laughs> Be gone. <laughs> or you can go through the trap door. <laughs> well... Holmes also liked to test people. He wanted to see if anyone was like him, 
anyone he could maybe keep around a little bit longer. One day he asked a bricklayer, Hey, um, how about you go drop a stone on the head of that guy over there? He's my quote-unquote brother-in-law. Um, you know, I'll give you 50 bucks if you do it. And the guy was pretty freaked out, and he just kind of got out of there. <laughs> but he did find a few people that were a little shady themselves. One of them was Benjamin Peitzel, a carpenter. He became Holmes's assistant. He had been arrested in Indiana for trying to forge checks. And Holmes posted his bail, because this is a useful skill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a man with a certain set of skills. <laughs> Another guy he hired was a caretaker. Um, when the building was completed, Holmes moved in, and he sold the drugstore across the street, and he promised the new owner, you're going to be so successful, there's like no competition around here, you're, you're going to do great. And then he opened up a drugstore in his new building. <laughs> Sometimes he sold sham drugs that would cure alcoholism or baldness, and he bought chloroform in really large quantities for scientific experiments. For his drugstore? Yes. Yes. He opened up a barbershop, restaurant, doctor's office under a fake name, a glass bending company. You know, that's what the kiln is for. He's going to bend some glass. And he equipped everything with furniture and fixtures bought on credit. He had no intention on paying for any of it. So when creditors came by, he told them, talk to Mr. Campbell, one of his fake names. He's in the basement. <laughs> he was really good at calming people down, you know, uh, Give him cigars, drinks. He's good at making friends. For example, he's great at making friends with the police, whose precinct is only seven blocks away. He knew their names, and they could eat for free in his restaurant. <laughs> Everything's fine. He's a nice guy. It's fine. This is fine. One woman did laundry for Holmes, and he offered to pay her $6,000 to acquire a $10,000 life insurance policy and name him as the beneficiary. He'd make a profit on her death when she died, but she could live her life in the meantime with all this money. This was a fortune, and she she was actually thinking about it, and she almost agreed. But then he leaned in, and he softly said, Don't be afraid of me. And that freaked her out, so she got out of there. <laughs> then Freaked me out. <laughs> Please don't do that again. <laughs> told you the story was scary. <laughs> <laughs> then he decided to turn his building into a hotel for the visitors of the Columbian Exposition in Chicago. This was the World's Fair. This was a big deal. Tons of people were going to be coming from everywhere for this. The hotel would supply a steady stream of customers and a better fire insurance policy. So Murda, his second wife, had a rich uncle visiting at this time. So Holmes showed up gifts for the wife and daughter. He's such a good guy. Look what a family man he is. And he won over Uncle Belknap and convinced him to endorse a note for $2,500 to help cover the cost of a new house for himself and Myrtle. You're you know? telling me $2,500 buys you a new house. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. It'll, it'll be a start. That's nice. The uncle knew they, they'd had problems in their marriage and he thought maybe living together would help. So, so he... He just wanted to see them be happy. He wanted to see Murdo a lot happier. But then Holmes used the uncle's signature to forge another note for the same amount to finance his hotel instead. And while the uncle's in town, he invited him to his building for a tour. 
and not wanting to insult anybody, Uncle Belknap agreed. The uncle thought the building was pretty strange. He didn't like the gloomy, weird, dark corridors with passages that struck off in unexpected directions. Holmes invited the uncle, hey, why don't you come up on the roof with me? And the uncle said, nah, I'm, I'm too old and that's too many steps. Holmes is like, but hey, there's a great view up there. Don't you want to come up on the roof? Roof is great. Come to the roof. Roof is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle said, no, something doesn't seem right about this. So then Holmes invited the uncle to stay overnight. He's going to kill you. (laughs) He's going to betray you. This is this is in my mind the helpful person across the street with the uh, telescope, like the nosy neighbor type. Yeah, he's going to throw you off the building. So now he's been invited to stay overnight in the building. He really doesn't want to, but he feels bad about how much he declined no. going up on the roof. No, no, no guilt. No, none of no he guilt. He felt bad, so he agreed. No. The uncle carefully locked the door before going to bed, but he had trouble sleeping. Everything about this place was just wrong. Then he heard the doorknob rattling and a key being slipped into the lock. He called out asking, who's there? The noise stopped. And then he heard one set of footsteps walking away. And then the voice of another person. So there had been two people by the door. The other person who remained was the caretaker. The caretaker asked, can I come in? The uncle said, uh, no. Didn't feel bad about that? <laughs> Relocked the door. He laid awake the rest of the night. Later on, the forgery was discovered, and Holmes apologized. But And Uncle Belknap didn't press charges. But he did realize later that the forgery never would have been discovered if he had gone up on the roof. He's going to kill you! (laughs) I've seen him do it! (laughs) Holmes didn't visit his wife and daughter much after that. But he did make sure to take out life insurance on his daughter's life because children are so fragile. Dear God. Everyone in this story is so worried about being polite. No one says anything or compares notes or reports to the authorities. The police weren't actually trusted to solve crimes during this time because there's just so many missing people. People aren't convinced the police will do anything, so they never say anything. No one puts any of this stuff together. Business is going well, but there was a high turnover rate amongst his employees. He hired lots of young, attractive girls from small towns. Bring all your money. Let me take a life insurance policy out on you for, for safety. And then they'd just disappear, leaving behind all their belongings. People thought, wow, this is kind of rude. He's a really understanding boss. They just keep disappearing like this. Weird. The building, being so big and so multi-use, was now known as the castle and would later be called the Murder Castle. And now we're at the halfway point in our story, and we're going to save the rest for next time. Ooh. Are you hanging in there, Dan? I'm scared. I don't want okay? I don't know if I'll be able to sleep. I'm I'm kind of worried if we don't wrap it like I don't know if I want to hear the rest of it or not. It all sounds very bad. 
And um, yeah, so you're telling me this dude is a creep show. A that, little. That's my sum up. Yeah. This dude is a creep show. And Chicago is a dangerous place. Tune in next time for the second half of our story. Thank you for listening to Tail Wagging, a gleeful retelling of little-known fairy tales, folklore, history, and more. If you'd like to get in touch or send us a story you'd like to hear on the podcast, you can find us on our Facebook page, Tail Wagging Podcast, or on Twitter, at Tail Wagging Pod. That's T-A-L-E-W-A-G-G-I-N-G-P-O-D. We'd really love it if you could take a moment to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you can. It really helps us get found on this new adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, tweet about it on the interwebs, or send a raven. And if you are under an evil enchantment or have been turned into a creature of some kind, I can't promise listening to the next episode will transform you back, but... It might. This is tail wagging. May all your dreams come true.